reading, please. We're going to start with a reading from Luke 24, verses 36 to 49. It's entitled, Jesus Appears to the Disciples. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of boiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. While they were saying all this, Jesus appeared to them and said, Peace be with you. They thought they were seeing a ghost and were scared half to death. He continued with them, Don't be upset and don't let all these doubting questions take over. Look at my hands, look at my feet, it's really me. Touch me, look me over from head to toe. A ghost doesn't have muscle and bone like this. As he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. They still couldn't believe what they were seeing. It was too much. It seemed too good to be true. He asked, do you have any food here? And they gave him a piece of leftover fish they had cooked. He took it and ate it right before their eyes. Then he said, everything I told you whilst I was with you comes to this. All the things written about me in the law of Moses, in the prophets and in the Psalms have to be fulfilled. He went on to open their understanding of the word of God, showing them how to read their Bibles this way. He said, you can see how it was written, that the Messiah suffers, rises from the dead on the third day, and then a total life change through the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed in his name to all nations. Starting from here, from Jerusalem. You're the first to hear it. You're the witnesses. What comes next is very important. I'm sending what my father promised you. So stay here in the city until he arrives, until you're equipped with power from on high. While I was still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And just as they were talking about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. 
Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost. Because ghosts do not have bodies, as you see that I do. While they were saying all this, Jesus appeared to them and said, Peace be with you. They thought they were seeing a ghost and were scared half to death. He continued with them, Don't be upset and don't let those doubting questions take over. Look at my hands, look at my feet, it's really me. Touch me, look over from head to toe. A ghost doesn't have muscle and bone like this. We thought tonight it was good to look at the passage that we're looking at using different translations because it just helps us to understand, um, sometimes just from a different, using different words um, from different perspectives. Looking at those verses that we've just, we've just heard, I don't know about you, but I don't blame the disciples for being terrified. They'd seen Jesus die, and yet here he was standing with them. And so they were scared. His presence, presence provoked awe and fear. So often we think after the resurrection about the joy that we, that we have knowing that Jesus is risen. But here they were seeing him in real life, in flesh and bone, and it made them afraid. It isn't the sort of thing that happens every day. And it's this fear that also produces reverence, a true respect for who Jesus is. Fully man, yet also fully God, and able to raise from, rise from the dead. What struck me as I read these verses is that the first thing that Jesus said was, Peace be with you. He knew what the disciples would feel, and he understood. He knew that they would be afraid. So the first words from his mouth are gentle and reassuring, a reminder of who he is, a reminder that he is in control, and that he meets his people where they are. And that's true for us right now. He meets us where we are. He doesn't want us to be afraid. He wants us to find our peace in him, and to know that he understands us and is with us. And despite the doubts that the disciples had, he was gentle and loving, and he's the same for us. So as we come to worship him now, we can know that we can come before him just as we are wherever we are, and know that he knows what we need. We're going to have time to reflect on that just now. We listen to a song by Matt Wilson, a song called Face Down, and it just reminds us of the need to come before him, just as we are, um, whatever our days have held, whatever's going on in our lives just now. So I just ask you to reflect on this song. Luke 24, verses 40 to 43. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet, and while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. As he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. They still couldn't believe what they were saying. It was too much. It seemed too good to be true. He asked, "Do I have? Do you have any food here?" He gave them a pe- they gave him a piece of leftover fish they had cooked. He took it and ate it right before their eyes. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still, they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, do you, have, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it as they watched. 
the disciples knew, as we all do, that death is a one-way street. The ancients weren't under any illusions that dead people rise from the dead. Because that wasn't what happened. And of course, the thing that I find interesting in that passage is where it says, in the message version in particular, they couldn't believe what they were seeing. It was too much. It seemed too good to be true. Because, you know, there are loads of times in our lives when God works in our lives and it seems too good to be true. It seems too good to be true to think that God actually cares for each one of us. It seems too good to be true to think that God has a plan for each one of us. It seems too good to be true to think that he cares for us, no matter how insignificant we might think we are. This reading is from Luke 24, verse 44 to 48. Then he said, Everything I told you while I was with you comes to this. All the things written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms have to be fulfilled. He went on to open their understanding of the word of God, showing them how to read their Bibles this way. He said, You can see now how it is written that Messiah suffers, rises from the dead on the third day, and then a total life change through the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed in his name to all nations, starting from here, from Jerusalem. You're the first to hear and see it. You're the witnesses. Then he said, When I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me, the law of Moses and the prophets, and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said, Yes, it was written long ago that the, that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that in this message would be, would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. When he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures, he told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are the witnesses of these things. I would dare to guess that most, if not all of us here, already believe that Jesus being raised from the dead is true. So the next question is, so what? What difference does that make? Well, the scene doesn't end with Jesus telling them you need to believe that this is true. Believing is just the beginning. We're also to proclaim it to a world that God gives the power for us to do that. And maybe the question is, whether we truly believe that or not, that God is going to give us the power to tell people his good news. We're told you are witnesses and need to proclaim the gospel to the world. And that we're going to be clothed with power from on high so that we can have the power to do that. Well, it's our task, it's our privilege to tell others the good news of Jesus. Listen to this story. 
There was a three-phase experiment conducted at Rockford College, and it used over 100 college graduates who were, who were preparing for youth ministry. This is how they describe it. In the first phase, they took a young volunteer from the room and blindfolded him. Um, they simply told him that when he returned, he could do anything that he wished. He remained outside of the room while they instructed each audience member to think of a simple task for him to do. When the volunteer returned, they were told to shout their individual instructions at him from where they sat. Prior to this, they privately instructed each other, um, well, one person rather, to shout a very specific task as if it was a matter of life and death. And they had to persuade the blindfolded volunteer to climb the steps, steps at the back of the auditorium and embrace the instructor who was standing at the door. He had to shout this vital message from where he was sat. The volunteer was oblivious to all instructions and previous arrangements. The volunteer represented those of us, or those people who aren't Christians. The audience represented the world who was screaming, world of voices screaming for their attention. And the person with the vital message represents those of us who bring the message of the gospel to others. The blindfolded student was led back into the room and the lecture room exploded with shouting. Each person tried to get the volunteer to follow his or her own unique instructions. In the midst of the crowd, the voice of the person with the vital message was lost. No single message stood out. The blindfolded student stood paralysed by confusion and indecision and moved randomly without purpose as he sought to discern a clear and unmistakable voice in the crowd. The second phase. We told the audience about the person attempting to get the volunteer to accomplish the vital task. At this point, another person was chosen from the audience to add a new dimension. This person's goal was to, at all costs, keep the volunteer from doing the vital task. While the rest of the audience was to remain in their seats, these two people were allowed to stand next to the volunteer and shout their opposing messages. They could get as close as they wished. However, they were not allowed to touch the volunteer. As the blindfolded volunteer was led back into the room, the shouting began again. This time, because the two messengers were standing so close, the volunteer could hear both messages. But because both the messages were opposed to each other, he vacillated. He followed one for a bit, then was convinced by the other to go in the opposite direction. In order for people to hear our message, we must get close to them. Even then, there are others with opposing messages who are close enough to make their messages clear. Sometimes they're peers or relatives. The main lesson? Only the close voices could be heard. Even though the volunteer took no divisive, decisive action, at least he heard the message. The third and final phase. The response to the third phase was startling. In this phase, everything remained the same except the one with the vital message was allowed to touch the volunteer. He couldn't pull or push in any way or force the volunteer to do anything he actually wanted, but he could touch him and in that way encourage him to follow. The blindfolded volunteer was led into the room and when he appear, appeared, the silence erupted into an ear-splitting noise. The two messengers stood close, shouting their opposing words. Then the one with the vital message put his arm around him gently and leaned close to speak to his ear, into his ear. Almost without hesitation, the volunteer began to yield to this instruction. Occasionally he paused and listened to opposition, but because he was guiding him, he led him on. 
A moment of frightening realism occurred spontaneously as the one with a vital message drew close to the goal. All those in the audience who, up to this point, had been shouting from their own individual instructions suddenly joined in unison and shouted, don't go, don't go, don't go. So many times, people have seen the forces that pull people in different directions join together to dissuade them from a serious commitment to Christ. The chant grew to a pulsating crescendo, don't go, don't go. But the guiding arm of the one with the vital message never left the volunteer's shoulder. At the top of the stairs in the back of the lecture hall, the one with the message leaned in one last time to whisper into the ear of the volunteer. There was a moment of hesitation, and then the volunteer threw his arms around the instructor, and the audience erupted with applause. When the volunteer revealed how he felt as he went through each phase, it became apparent that if our message is to be heard, we cannot shout it from the confines of our church buildings. We must venture out and draw close to those with whom we wish to communicate. If we really seek a life-changing commitment from people, we must also reach out where they are and in love, gently touch them and lead them to that commitment. The volunteer was asked why he followed the one with the vital message, the one who touched him, and after a few moments he said, because it felt like he was the one who really cared. So often, when we think of reaching out to others with the good news of Jesus, we think of it as being something big and scary. And we do all sorts of things in attempts to tell people about Jesus, when half the time we just need to meet them where they are, to get to know them, to show them that we care. We need to be witnesses with our whole lives, witnesses by being approachable, down-to-earth, welcoming and accepting. But however we do it, we need to take seriously the call to be witnesses to the whole world. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And now I will send the Holy Spirit, just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. What comes next is very important. I am sending what my Father promised to you. So stay here in the city until he arrives, until you're equipped with power from on high. Jesus directly tells his disciples to share the good news of Jesus with the whole world. And he tells us too. And that's a real privilege. It's a responsibility, but it's exciting. But more amazing is that than that, is that we're sent the Holy Spirit to help us and equip us. Philip Yancey tells this story. Dr. Paul Brand was speaking to a medical college in India on let your light shine before men that they may behold your good works and glorify your father. In front of the lectern was an oil lamp with its cotton wick burning from a shallow dish of oil. As he preached, the lamp ran out of oil. The wick burned dry and the smoke made him cough. He immediately used the opportunity. Some of us here are like this wick, he said. We're trying to shine for the glory of God, but we stink. That's what happens when we use ourselves as the fuel of the glory of God, or the fuel for our witnesses, rather than the Holy Spirit. Wicks can last indefinitely, burning brightly and without irritating smoke, if the fuel, the Holy Spirit, is in constant supply. 
You see, when we try and do things in our own strength, it doesn't work. We end up burning out or, you know, it just isn't right. When we really rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to work in and through us, then that's the only way we can do anything of any significance. Let us go out from this time of worship out into the world to live God's will, to pray, to serve, to be awestruck by God's mighty act, to share love with all we meet, and to fill the world with hope in Christ. Amen.